I would invite you to take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 20. I want to read this verse, but we're actually going to address it next week. That'll be our last week in the series of the way of righteousness. But uh, I want to begin this, uh, begin it this week, just kind of start Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 20. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the guidance that it gives to our lives. And we thank you for its faithfulness to to minister grace to our life, to bring us along spiritually, to prepare us for uh, every good work. We thank you, Lord, for your watch care over us. We know that your word guides us, but you are you are our shepherd, you are our overseer, and that you are involved in our lives on a daily basis. And Lord, we also know that we are part of this church, we're part of the body of Christ, even though there's a number that are not here today because of, uh, because of the circumstances that you're, you're aware of. But Lord, we are still united, we are still uh, together and uh, in, in spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would hasten the day when we can be together all, all together as a, a body of believers a local body of believers here at Daniels. Uh, Lord, I just pray for your grace on this message today as we unpack your word and understand what it is to be godly, a topic that has been lost in our day. Lord, may we have a generation that rediscovers godliness and what it is to walk in the way of righteousness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our theme, like I said, is the way of righteousness. Um, and my concern is that we have a, a Christianity light, um, a hybrid, hybrid kind of Christianity, a, a third way, you might say. Um, the other day we were, we were at the dinner table and we were drinking what we thought was uh, peach juice. And we started looking at the carton, you know, have you ever started looking at the ingredients and found that there's only 5% juice, okay, 5%. And we look at the contents of juice, and it's really mostly apple juice with just a little bit of peach flavoring. So it's really not peach juice at all. It's mostly high fructose, fructose corn syrup or whatever that is. But they put all of these things in there and make you think that it's peach juice. It's, a, it's some kind of hybrid. As long as you think you're eating or drinking peach juice, then, boy, you're drinking peach juice. It's just the flavoring. As long as we have a, a, a flavoring of peach juice. And, folks, that's applied to... That's a, 
uh, same idea here as, as almost the, this Christianity we have today. It's a, a Christianity light. And the idea is, as long as I proclaim Christ and I come to church every once in a while and I have a, a right theology, at least I'm not in some cult or something like that, then I can choose whatever lifestyle that I want to choose. And that is not biblical. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not something that you find in Scripture. We kind of mess around in the gray areas. What can we get by with? And we excuse many things because of personality. And we accept different cultures because of multiculturalism. And, and we have this hybrid of Christianity, this Christianity light, 95% less calories. Uh, it, it just tastes like Christianity has the flavor of Christianity. That's it. It's not real Christianity. It, I mean, you look in the ingredients, it's nothing really there, but it sure gives the flavor. It sure makes you think that it's Christianity. And that's what we see today. And many Christians are, are choosing a different lifestyle than what we see in Scripture. It's not the way of righteousness. It's not godliness. Folks, we Christians, we must choose a lifestyle that is consistent with the character of God. We have to be holy as He is holy. We cannot just make up our holiness and then conform to that holiness. It just doesn't work that way. Now, the passage that Dave read for us earlier talked about a way. And and Moses was uh, presenting this two ways, actually, to the children of Israel, the way of righteousness or the way of wickedness, the way of life, or the way of death. And that, that, is a, um, that way is a, a metaphor. Now, a metaphor is just a, a, a figure of speech that helps us to describe um, something that's not literally true. It's just a, a, a symbol. This is a, a metaphor. It explains difficult ideas. It helps us to teach. And that's what Moses was doing. And the, the dominant metaphor in the book of Proverbs for the moral life, for the righteous life, is the, the way. It's the way. Now, that's a word that is consistent, really, through Scripture. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, that we, the passage that was read for us, even into the, the New Testament, and it means, it talks about a lifestyle, a, a character, a conduct of, of God's children. And there's a, a way of righteousness and a way of wickedness. There's a way of the wise and the way of the fool. There's a way of life and there's a way of, of death. There's no third way. There's no hybrid that's not what we see in Scripture at all. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not a, a works-based salvation that we just hop on this road and it leads us to heaven and that's it. It's not something that we have done. Salvation is by faith. It's always been by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are on that road of righteousness. There's within you a hunger and thirst for, for righteousness, for godliness. And this metaphor really is a, is a metaphor for the way of life. It portrays a, a, a godly lifestyle. And Jesus used it too in Matthew chapter 7, where he talked about uh, the narrow way that leads to the narrow gate that leads to life. 
It's, a, it's consistent throughout Scripture. It's a lifestyle that, that God's children have a, adopted, and God's children have lived out throughout the centuries. And we see it consistently here in the book of, of Proverbs. Now, we've, we're bringing this way of righteousness to an end, but I want you to see there's so much more that needs to be said concerning this way of righteousness, this, this righteous lifestyle. Now, I want you to see this in Paul's writings. So turn over to Romans chapter 6. Actually, we're just going to look at Romans, a little survey of Romans and survey of, of Ephesians, just concerning this, this way, this way of righteousness. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. You see the, the uh, Scripture references on the, the screen there. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, Therefore, we have been buried with Him, that is Christ, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead... Now, this is a wonderful picture of baptism, by the way. He was, uh, we were dead. Christ was dead. He was put into the ground. He was raised up. It's a wonderful picture of baptism. We're baptized into death so that as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, the key word there is walk. That word walk is is the metaphor. It's the same metaphor. It's the same idea as you see in the book of Proverbs and you see in the same, um, uh, used in the same way in the book of, of, or or the whole Old Testament. And the Greek word here is peripateo. I know that that doesn't mean too much for you, to you, but, but you need to understand that word. Because it's, 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 um, uh, translated different ways in the New Testament, but it's the same concept, peripateo. And he talks here, this is a, a new way of life. It's a new lifestyle. It's a, a walk in newness of life. We're placed on this road. It's a whole new lifestyle. Right? Now you, so peripateo, remember that. Chapter 8 and verse 4. Romans chapter 8, verse 4. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, that's just amazing when you think about today's theology. But the the righteousness uh, or the requirements of the law fulfilled in us who do not walk, peripateo, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We We don't walk, we don't have a lifestyle that caters to the flesh anymore. We have a lifestyle... That caters to the to the spirit, that is led about by the spirit, chapter thirteen and verse thirteen. Romans, let us behave. Now that's the word. Let us walk. Let us live. It could be translated those words, but there's our word peripateo. Let us behave properly as in the day. In full view of the sun, right? In, in the day. In full view of the, the truth. Let us walk in that way. Let us have that kind. That's the proper lifestyle. Not in carousing or drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality. Not in, not in strife or jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. It's a different way of, of walking, a different lifestyle 
And it's a proper lifestyle in light, in full light of the truth. Now, let's go over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll see kind of the contrast here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. We're just getting a, a grasp of what the way Paul uses this same idea. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly what? Walked. Peripateo. This, in which you formerly had this lifestyle. Now, description of this lifestyle, according to the course of this world. It was just the masses were all going this way, and so we were just part of that. It was the same lifestyle that all the rest of the world was going. According to the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself was leading this uh, course. The, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, that was us. The heart of the masses were in Satan's control, and he's just leading it wherever he wants. Among them, we too, we all formally lived. This is a, a former lifestyle, of course, the course of this world. We don't live that lifestyle anymore, that peripateo. We have a different lifestyle. We have a, a different walk, a, a different behavior, a different life. Look down at chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would, what? Walk in them. Peripateo. This walk, this lifestyle includes a walk of good works. That's what it is. It's a walk of of good works. Chapter 5 in verse 2, we're not giving you all of these. These are just kind of some of the choice ones in these two books. Chapter 5, therefore, be imitators of God. There's our concept there, this godliness. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Take on the family resemblance. And walk in the love just as Christ also loved you. Now, the word walk is what? Peripateo. Walk in love. This is a lifestyle of self-sacrificing just like Christ did. It's a walk in love. Chapter 5 and verse 15. We'll look at one more here. Therefore, be careful how you walk. This is an introspective lifestyle. We, We have to be careful. We have to be wise, he says. Uh, not as the unwise, not as unwise, but as wise. We give thought to our life, thought to our uh, lifestyle. That's the idea. The wise are always, they always keep in mind the consequences of their actions. Wise people always keep in mind the consequences of their action. It's an introspective walk, an introspective lifestyle. And that's consistent, folks, with what we see throughout Scripture. There's a a, a lifestyle of rebellion against God that leads to death. There's a lifestyle of of, um, of, uh, righteousness that leads to life. That's what we see in the whole of Scripture. There's only two. There's not three. Now, what is righteousness, then, uh, that we must include in this way of of life? Let's just review a little bit. This way of righteousness has to include the moral law, that moral law that God has written on our hearts. In Romans chapter 2, verse 15, we see uh, it's the overarching principle that is uh, of love of God and love for fellow man. It's a reverence for God. 
and a respect for man so we don't kill, we don't steal, we don't covet. And it also must include, this way of righteousness must include, God-given institutions. Now, that's what we've been looking at, God's institutions. The structure to our life, the structure to this way of godliness is these institutions that God has, has given us. That includes, these institutions include God-given authority, God-given purpose, limitations on that authority, and guidelines for that authority. That's what we see. So godliness is adhering to these God-given, instruction, God-given institutions, and there's five of them. I think you see them on the screen there. We've looked at three. The first three we've, we've seen. God-given institutions. The first one is, is marriage. And the purpose of marriage is to establish the, the context of a, a loving, uh, caring, compassionate, committed relationship in which we, we live. That's, in which, that's a, a condition in which man is to live in that family. And it then becomes a building block for the rest of society. It becomes a building block in, a, in, in which God rules the earth. In, in which God uses to, to build a, a nation. And He builds communities. Number two is family. And that would be, that would be parenting. The purpose of family is to, to fill, the, fill the earth and to pass on a godly character from one generation to the next. One generation to the next. God will have His remnant in every generation. And it provides a, an example to the world that demonstrates God's glory to the world. And then we have commerce, that is work. And the purpose of work is to provide for those families and to bring and to bless others, to bring others along with us, to display God's glory in the workplace. Now, here's the picture. Those first three that we've seen, the, the pictures, that those are building blocks for society. Those are foundational things for, for society. And without them, without those first three institutions, society begins to break down. And, and let me say... That that's what we begin to see this week. You, you see a, a breaking down of society, and it goes down. If you want to trace it, it goes down to marriage, the commitment between a, a man and a woman. It goes to family, that training up that generation. And it goes to goes to work, those fundamental things. Let me show you this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11 says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. By the blessing of the upright, so God blesses the upright... Uh, a city is exalted. You, can, you could say nation as well. A city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Folks, that's what we're seeing today. It just is. These God-given institutions are, are not the foundation anymore. We, uh, my wife and I kind of stumbled on a, a little video clip this week of... This uh, just about a minute video clip, and it was a, a little community in Norway, Alta, Norway. And uh, it was just this little community, and, and all these houses were together, but they were moving. And in fact, what happened in the video, they just all moved, and they, they were dumped right into the sea. It looked like the sea was coming to them, but actually the whole community was moving, and the whole and lost several homes just right into the sea. Because there is a corrupt foundation. There is no foundation there. 
And, and folks, that's what's going to happen to society. We, we think that we're safe. We think that we're okay because we've got this great government and it's good and all. But you have to have the building blocks. You have to have the foundation of marriage, family, and training them up. You have to have good work ethics or society is going to begin to erode. And then what has to happen then? There has to be forced peace. Force to maintain order. Now, let's just apply this. Christians then must commit themselves to adhering to these these God-given institutions. These are important. We need to start placing an emphasis on these things again, on marriage and on family and on, on work, because they're the building blocks of society there. And we must be careful. We, we can watch the world. We can look at the world and see these things begin to happen. Now, let's move on. Number four. Uh, the fourth God-given institution is government. Government. Now, from the very beginning... You see that the purpose of the government is to protect men, protect us. In Genesis chapter 9, we see in verse 5, Surely I will require your life's blood from every beast I will require it. So, if a lion comes and kills me, then you are accountable, you are responsible to track down that lion or that bear or that whatever, and you are to kill that. That life's blood is required. And he says, and from every man, from every man's brother, I require it. And he goes on to say, here's the little idiom that that was uh, uh, stated back then. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood should be shed. We hold each other accountable. Why? Because for the... For the image, in the image of God, He was made. There's a sanctity of life. Life is so important that if you take a life, then your life is to be taken. And that is the beginning stages of, of government. You have to have truth. You have to nail down the truth. What happened here? You have to have evidence. You have to have uh, enforcement. You have to have judgment and justice. And so you begin to see. But you also see the problem because of sinfulness of man, there has to be a, a government. We have to hold each other accountable. And so the purpose of government, folks, is to protect. That's the primary purpose of government, is to protect. Not to feed, not to, re, to over-regulate, not to be our parents to, uh, so, so that we become dependent on government. It's designed to protect us. And I love what our Constitution says. It protects us from enemies foreign and abroad, foreign and domestic. Now, let's give you a list of these guidelines here for, for the government. In, do, in Daniel chapter 2, you can turn to that if you like. Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 21, he says, And it is he, that's God, who changes the times and the epochs, the the whole seasons of life. God changes them. He removes kings and He establishes kings. He gives wisdom to men and knowledge to men of understanding. God is in control of those things. We need to keep that in mind. And we have election coming up. And we think, boy, we're in control and it's all political. But you know what? God is behind the scenes and He is in control of these things. And Christ said, gave us another one, another little uh, guideline. 
in Matthew or in Luke chapter 21 is that we are to what? Pay taxes to government. If you have government, somebody's got to pay for it. That's us. We have to pay taxes. Christ said to render to whom render do what is due and uh, and that would be taxing giving taxes to the government. But I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 13. And this is where we'll spend a little bit of time. Romans chapter 13, because we have a a lot of guidelines about the government right here. In chapter 13, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. I know I'm having you turn a lot right now, but uh, I, I want you to see these things for yourself. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Every person is to be subject to the governing authority. We're to submit. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, that's pretty clear. God establishes government. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God. And they who, uh, uh, they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. There's going to be consequences. We don't resist. That's a, that's, they are established by God. They have God's rule. Verse 3, the first part of verse 3 says the same thing. For rulers are not a cause for fear, but for good behavior. They are established by God. Established by God. Our role then is to submit to them. They are to protect us. Now, we have to know, we have to understand those little guidelines that become important. Let me give you one more in verse 3. For the rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior. If you're doing what is right, then I don't fear. I don't fear that police when I'm going down and I'm under the speed limit, right? I don't fear. But if I'm going over the speed limit, ooh, what do I do? Just instinct, fear kicks in. You put that brake on, you you slow down a little bit, right? Paul understands. That's the nature of us all. For we don't fear for good behavior, but for evil when we're when we're doing what is wrong. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. You, that government's going to praise you. Now I believe. One another, another element of government is to promote what is good. Because look at verse 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good. They are to promote what is good. Now, what does that mean for us? Just by way of application, there's no all-moral government. There's going to be either good government or bad government. There's going to, you're going to promote some morals. You cannot take God out of it. I know that's the push today. Oh, we can just be objective, just logic, purely, uh, purely uh, e- equality, and, and take God out of, out of government. You, you can't do that. It, it can't be done. There's going to be judgment calls. There's going to be good and evil. There's going to be right and wrong. And we have to promote those. We have to, government is required, and this is what I was, when I was dealing with the legislator, I was constantly going to them and, and reminding them, look, you're going to stand before God someday and give an account for the decisions that you make here and now, for the laws that you put into place. Now, that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. There's a principle here that I want us to know. Godliness, then, or righteousness, demands that we know what God says about these institutions. Godliness demands it. Listen, men, 
as leaders of your household, you have to know the parameters of the government, the parameters of the family, the parameters of the church, the parameters of, of marriage. You have to know those, those limitations. Because it, it takes wisdom. We have to make decisions based upon those things. So that means that we, it drives us to Scripture. We have to know what God says about these things. Or if we don't, it's going to be, eventually it's going to be, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. That's the way it is. Now, let's supply this. There's some dangers here that I want you to know. It takes wisdom. Now, we're going to talk about wisdom next week. But it takes wisdom, folks, to be righteous in this world. It takes wisdom. We have to think. Um, let me give you some applications. There's a danger of the heart of man, isn't there? Power corrupts. It's like a poison that kind of comes into our system and it, and it feeds that sinful nature. Power does that. And it feeds until we're, until we're completely poisoned. Um, it corrupts the heart. There's no perfect government. There's no perfect person in government. There's no perfect constitution. And we just need to come to that reality. We just have to face that. We are living, like Dave prayed earlier, we're living in a broken world. It just is. There's going to be flaws. Number two. So we have to recognize that. Number two, by way of application, we cannot take for granted what we have. We cannot take for granted what we have. I'm afraid that's what's happening today. We want to restructure everything and, and kind of get rid of the old and bring in the new. And, and let me tell you, we have to be very careful about that. I believe we don't understand obedience today. We don't understand that. We live in a, a country where it's voluntary obedience. We live in a under a constitution that is of the people and by the people and for the people. It's a voluntary submission. So the way it works is um, if we want the speed limit to be increased, then we just go a little bit faster. We go five miles over the speed limit and eventually the government catches up and, and it bumps the... In my lifetime, it started at 55 and now we're up to 65 and now we're up to 70. And why? It's because we have that, that freedom to push, push the limits a little bit. Because we're the government, right? We're part of that. But listen, that's not always the way it's been. In most of the, the, the times of the world, the past thousands and thousands of years, if a nation conquers another nation, it's done by force, and it's done to enslave the people. Even the Romans, Roman peace, it was a forced peace. That's obedience. So what Paul is saying in Romans 13 is, is, Christian, you pay your taxes to them, you obey them, even though they might turn around and kill you. That was happening. Roman soldiers were killing Christians. So we have to understand obedience. And we cannot take for granted, folks, that the government system that we have, we have to be very careful. This is a good system. It's not just something that we just throw away. Let me give you another one. Just beware of government overreach, right? Beware of government overreach. The power corrupts. And, and what happens is this institution, this God-given institution that's there to protect us, tends to want to reach into the other God-given institutions of marriage or the other God institutions of uh, family or church 
and, and kind of micromanage. And so we have to be careful. We have to, we have to know those boundaries, right? They cross the line. So it's by way of application. Men, we've got to know these five institutions that God has given us. We need to know those boundaries. We need to, there has to be some wisdom there. Has to be some wisdom. Let's move on. The last institution is the church. The church. The purpose of the church is to provide a a loving context for the, the spiritual growth of God's people. To provide a loving context for the spiritual growth of God's people. Now, for the past 2,000 years, Christ has been building His church. In Matthew chapter 28, He gave His disciples, He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, there's an assumption there that they're going to get together. It's not just an assumption. It's there. That they're going to gather together in local pockets and there's going to be discipleship. And the idea is the same idea that we find in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is that they, they receive the truth, they guard the truth, and they pass the truth on to the next generation. That's discipleship. That's what we see in, in Timothy. Let me just read those to you in First Tim, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 he, uh, Paul reminds Timothy or tells Timothy to receive the, the standard of sound words. And then in verse 14, he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit that's which is entrusted to you. Chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to do it also. Now, the implication there, too, is another principle is that there has to be oversight. There has to be those godly men, those shepherds that, that have to disciple, that have to receive the truth, that have to guard the truth, and they have to pass the truth on to the, to the next generation. There has to be those, that structure in the church. And so if we're going to have those men, there has to be qualifications for that. And we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2. Those men were to be appointed because of their godly character. Let me show you one other one. First Thessalonians. We're just moving through these quickly. I believe the yeah, they're they're there on the screen. First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse twelve, he says, But we requ- we request of you. Now I love that. We request he could say we command it. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. In the Lord, this is the spiritual. This isn't talking about the government. This is talking about within the church, spiritual watching over and, and, and uh, communicating instructions to you. Verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of their work. Now, we're to... Esteem the elders. In Hebrews chapter 13, we see that they're going to give an account for our souls. Now, let me just apply this a little bit. Sometimes we get the idea, we kind of look down on pastors. Well, they don't really work. Um, we always, within our family, there's a, a joke about Grandma Reinhardt. She was a case, but we loved her to death. But she would call up the pastor and say, Hey, pastor, can you run to the store for me? Or can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? 
And, uh, and, and dad talked to her one time. He said, look, now, you, you can't just do that. He's a busy man. Well, why? He just works one day a week, right? And that's the idea. Oh, this, this guy, he doesn't work. He doesn't really do anything. But let me tell you, it is work. It is, it is work. If we have that kind of mentality, then we're going to produce, and it's what you see today, is this effeminate Christianity. That, that Christianity, we're portraying this image to our children that Christianity is just for sissies. But this is men's work. It's men's work. Receiving that truth, guarding that truth, and passing that truth on to the next generation is serious business and is not to be taken lightly. And he says, you need to esteem those people. Highly esteem, he says. It's raw work. Blisters, calluses, back-breaking work, mind-bending work, exhausting work. It is work. It's work. And let me just encourage men. There's, there's got to be men that will rise to that challenge and say, I will do this. I want to do this. In Galatians chapter 6 and throughout the New Testament, we see the one and others. In Hebrews chapter 10, there's another principle. There's another guideline that we need to remember. And that's uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. It's the habit of some. What is he saying there? Keep meeting together, right? Meet together. Meet together. Now, this is why I say we need wisdom. We'll talk about a little bit more on wisdom next week. The government has told us to, uh, you can't meet, right? Government said, no, stop meeting. One of the first things that come to my mind, government can't tell us that. That's an overreach. Now, now they have the responsibility to protect. And now they're, they're overreaching into the church and they're saying, no, church, you can't meet. And so we have a command here. We're supposed to meet. What do we do? It takes wisdom. We as an elder board, we have to come together and we say, okay, what's the intent here? Is the government playing their role of protection to protecting or are they in the role of persecuting? Now, I believe that the government has been sincere. And, and what we're trying to do is attest, trying to, uh, trying to discern uh, the intentions of governors. So I'm, I'm listening every day. President, governors, I'm listening to them. And, and so far, I think their role has been to protect, and I think that's been good. And so we've, we've complied with that. But there's a danger there that the government will step in and say, no, and that becomes... You cannot meet. And that becomes, that becomes uh, persecution. You say, how do you know the difference? Well, if they say, okay, well, you can open the sports venues. And you can open the, the theaters. But you can't open the church. Then that's kind of uh, dualistic, isn't it? And the, the elders then begin to say, no, no, we have to take a stand here. They're, they've gone from protecting us to, to persecuting us. And, and we, there's a history of that, folks. And so we have to have wisdom. Godliness demands that there be wisdom. And we have to have men that will rise up and, and say, I will understand the Word of God well enough to discern these things. Let's, uh, let's just apply this quickly. 
churches are, are kind of being redefined. We've just laid out some basic principles of the church. It's not thorough, that's for sure. And, and basic principles of the government. It's not been a, a full exhaustive study. It would just kind of give you the idea. But at least I think there's enough there to show you that the church is being redefined by Christianity today. There's no longer a, a, a go-and-tell mentality. That's a, a come-and-see mentality. We're going to build it and, and, the, and then invite the, the unsaved in. There's a Hollywood entertainment mentality that's creeping into the church. It's not for instruction anymore. It's not, not for discipling anymore. It's to, it's to produce a, a, an experience. And you leave it up to the professionals and it becomes complicated. And, and you, when you're inviting the unsaved in, you just want them to sit back and, and be, uh, be comfortable and we'll take care of everything else and you don't have to worry about anything. And, and we just give people what they want. Folks, that is not the picture of the New Testament church. It's just not. And I believe it's a philosophy that's, that's out there that is just not right. It's highly sophisticated, highly organized, professional church. Just, just not see that. And now don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm thankful for this coronavirus thing. Because it, it's simply gotten the church outside of these four walls and into the community. And folks, that's where ministry is. We come in here. We get discipled, we get instructions, we hang on to that truth, we grab that truth, we hang on to that truth, we pass that truth on, and then we go out and we minister to a world with godliness, godly behavior, good works. That's where the work is to be done. It's a different philosophy than what you see today. Now, our understanding then for the way of righteousness is becoming more complete. It's the direction of our life that's oriented toward God. It's motivated by love and reverence for God. And it's fulfilling God-given roles and responsibilities, these these God-given institutions. And it's doing it faithfully. Remember that sermon. It's about marriage and about family and about work and about government and about church. And it's a lifestyle. And it's simple. It's just a simple thing. But that's what godliness is that we see in Scripture. It's not fancy. It's not flower. It's not Hollywood. In fact, it's not really even attractive to the unbeliever until God makes it attractive. And it goes against the current of the stream of this world, the lifestyle of this world that goes against that. It's simple, but it's biblically accurate. And it's not 5% Christian, just a little taste of Christianity. That's what it is to be Christian. Just full obedience to God, it's 100% Christian. And God's children have to have a lifestyle that reflects God's character. We are to be holy as He is holy. Now, just one question, one question. And just I want you to think about this. Are you the same? Are you the same at home as you are in public? Or do you have some hybrid kind of Christianity here? You're coming up with your own concoction of what holiness is. And so you live one way at home and another way in public. That's not Christianity. We have to look introspectively. We have to be careful. We have to guard our heart to make sure 
There's two ways. There's not three. There's a way of, of righteousness. There's a way of godliness that leads to life. And there's a way of rebellion against God that leads to death. There's no hybrid. One way that leads to life and one that leads to death. And we have to be careful to make sure that we reflect the right lifestyle to the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for your word again, just the guidance that it gives, the, the clarity that it is in our, uh, that you, you've given to us. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to just be responsible, to do what you've called us to do, no matter how strange it looks to the world. And Lord, we, we know that um, we're being given a different message. Moms are being a, given a, a different message today. But Lord, help them to see that godliness is right there in the home and just being faithful of what they're doing. And, and that young men would rise to the occasion to, to, to lead their homes and, and to think through these difficult issues of, of life and understand things from your perspective. Lord, help us to all be godly and walk in the way of righteousness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.